Amen. Thank you, Ensemble. Appreciate that. This morning and this evening, we're honored to have a guest preacher with us. Um, We have supported, as a mission work here at Heritage for many years, Baptist Church Planning Ministries. It's a ministry that assists church planters, helps them get organized and uh, starting these churches in various places. And Jeremy Rowland is the general director of Baptist Church Planning Ministries. We began supporting it here at Heritage under a man named Earl Jessup. You might remember him, some of you that have been here for a long time. And Brother Jessup passed away several years ago. And Jeremy has, has succeeded him in that role of general director and continues to see this ministry grow and thrive. And we're grateful for him. I've been able to be uh, assist Brother Roland on a, a church plant in Ohio and been blessed to be a part of that. And he is here this weekend because this evening we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Baptist Church Planning Ministry, assisting Heritage Baptist Church and Andrew and Sean Canavan over in Ireland as they this fall will go out and plant Grace Baptist Church uh, outside of Galway, Ireland. And right now they've been serving with Andrew's dad, Dan, and Beth. They're at Hope Baptist Church in Dublin. And uh, and then again this fall they'll be venturing out. So we're excited about that and excited that Baptist Church Planning Ministries is going to assist them in this. And so Jeremy was going to be in this region and we were able to get him in for this Sunday. Excited for you to hear about the ministry and then certainly excited to hear what God's laid on your heart, Brother Jeremy. You come and preach for us this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, it is good to be here at Heritage. I have not been here yet, so today's my first day, and uh, I told a few ushers that, and they say, well, glad that you could be here. So, real friendly, appreciate the invite as well, Pastor, and I know Heritage has a great heritage as well, and how the Lord started this work many, many years ago. Wish my wife and our, my son could be with me. They're back at home. We had some severe storms uh, back in Tennessee, where I'm from, Nashville, is our headquarters, and we had some severe storms and lost a lot of power and trees and all kinds of things. And uh, my wife, to top it off, is uh, very sick right now. She, I think she's come down with something, and uh, so they couldn't make it. But uh, if you could, on on your way out, grab one of our prayer cards and one of our updates from our ministry. This will be the last prayer card that you see because of that type. We're getting new ones printed right now. And also our display is being all redone as well. This has been the last church, actually, that we have our display up as it is today. Uh, Obviously, we help churches reproduce churches. Someone has said uh, that you all are the ecclesiastical obstetricians. Let that sink in a minute. You know, everything that God created, every living organism, He gave it the ability to reproduce, right? Right? And so aren't you glad that cows reproduce cows? And uh, we have a rancher right down our, uh, our uh, country road that has a lot of bison. And every uh, year or two, we get uh, about a half a bison and ground meat and steaks and all kinds of things. And I'm thankful that, you know, bison have bison babies. And uh, I'm thankful for all kinds of reasons why God did that. You know... Churches are living organisms. Uh, You're not just here organizing this morning, although there is a lot of organizing that takes place in a local church. The church is a living organism, and God has given it the ability and the mandate to reproduce itself. 
And so our ministry was put in place 30 years ago because our founder, uh, Dr. Earl Jessup, was pastoring a church just like this. And the people in the church had a burden for a city near them that needed another church. And they had some buses going over and they had, you know, some people picking some other people up and some families driving a good distance. And so the church got together and they started evangelizing that area for the purpose of planting a new ministry, a new church. And a year later, they planted a, a church. And they loved it so much, they said, let's have another baby. You know how it is when you have one, right? And uh, so the next year, they had two babies. And then the third year, they had twins. They planted two churches in the same month uh, out of their church. And then the fifth year, they planted another one. And other pastors started calling Dr. Jessup and saying, hey, can you come help us do the same thing? Because we've got some areas around us that need churches. And so he began to do that. And it turned into a wonderful, wonderful ministry over the last now 30 years. Come August, it'll be 30 years old. So we help independent Baptist churches like Heritage reproduce baby churches. And so we've helped 183 independent Baptist churches so far start. And 92% of them have survived and continue to thrive. Uh, by the way, the average in the last 60, 70 years of church planting is that one out of every two will die before their second year. And that's a, that's a terrible thing. If you went to the local hospital and you said, you know, we're expecting and we want to have, we want to make sure, you know, your facility's clean and so on. We want to see if we want to have our baby here or maybe it's another hospital. We're going to check it out. How many babies survive that are born here? And they said to you, well, one out of every two survive. You'd probably shut the place down, right? There's something wrong. Well, there's a lot of reasons why churches die. And over the years, we tried to analyze all of that and try to correct a lot of things that kill baby churches. And so our ministry comes and we work under the leadership and the authority of the local church to help the church reproduce another baby. We've helped uh, 54 of the church plants we've been involved with have been overseas in 11 other countries. Uh, this will be the first, if we help with the one in Ireland, will be the first in Ireland. We helped in Scotland and England around Ireland. Uh, but 54 of those have been overseas. Right now, I'll tell you this morning where we've been. And then tonight, I'll tell you where we're going, okay? So we normally work on about 7 to 10 church plants at one time. Uh, we are working on 22 right now at one time. I'm thankful for men who are surrendering to go into the ministry, and I'm thankful for many who have gotten a burden to plant churches. So let me share with you where we've been, and then tonight I'll tell you again where we're going. So recently we've been in Rome, Texas, and just north of Dallas, Fort Worth. We've helped uh, two now start out of some churches there in Dallas. Then we were out in Butte, Montana. Butte, Montana uh, is a very wicked area. I didn't know that going in. Uh, it's the, one of the only places that Billy Graham was run out of town when he tried to have a campaign there. It's got a, it's got a, uh, a very wicked history. Uh, it, it, it has the richest mountain in the United States. They pull a lot of uh, uh, minerals and, and, uh, and a lot of uh, 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 different kind of rock out of there and bronze and other things. And so there's a lot of people who work the mines. It's the second most populous area of Irish in the world. 
because of the Irish coming over to work in the mines. So where do you think the, the number one place is in the world? Of course, Ireland, right? I'm not, it's not a trick question. All right, but uh, second most populous. So every year about this time, for one month, they take down all the American flags, not that they're not patriotic, but then they raise the Irish flag for a whole month. And they basically have a one-month Irish Mardi Gras. <laughs> and it's, it's a different area. Uh, then we went to Big Bear, California, way up in the mountains outside of L.A., and a great area to go vacation to. Uh, but a man from North Carolina was called to go out there. We helped him start. And then we would help with two inner-city ministries just recently, inner-city Baltimore. I know it's very close to you. Uh, Pedro Morales was a teenager and his wife Trina, uh, unsaved. They were saved in an inner-city ministry there in Baltimore, called into the ministry. Uh, Pedro got training, went out and pastored a church in upstate New York, and then God burdened his heart to go back where he was raised, inner-city uh, Baltimore in just six months, five months ago, going on six months, we helped them start the church there in inner city Baltimore. Also inner city Atlanta, Georgia, Brother Mark McElreath was born one mile from where the church started in inner city Atlanta. You say inner city Atlanta needs churches? Yes. A lot of the churches, just like some of our other cities, a lot of the churches over the years have moved out of the area. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Over 750,000 people live in the city of Nashville. Not one good Bible-believing, soul-winning church in the inner city. Why is that? Because used to the inner cities were a lot of factories and places, but now the gentrification, they call it, of the inner cities, they're tearing all those down, building condos and restaurants and so on. And so now people are moving to the inner cities to live uh, and there's a great need for our inner cities once again to have churches. Well, Mark McElreath, if you go to Georgia Tech, right across the street, the Lord worked all this out. Uh, they were able to acquire an old church building that was almost condemned, and they're fixing it up as we speak. They're having services in it finally, right across the street from Georgia Tech, right, th- right down the road, obviously, from thousands and thousands of people there in inner city Atlanta. Then we recently helped the church start in Gallatin, Tennessee, just outside of uh, Nashville. It's growing like crazy there. And then we helped the church start in Eastern Shore, Alabama. Uh, The Western Shore is Mobile, and there is a uh, Mobile Bay in between. And the church on the east, excuse me, on the west side, Lighthouse, there were people driving from the east side, about 35, 40 minutes uh, to come to church. And instead of just, you know, expecting them to come all the time, the church there at Lighthouse said, you know what, we need to start another church over on the other side, near the Daphne Fairhope area. And uh, so they did, and a wonderful, wonderful church start there on the east side. So now you have Lighthouse west side, Lighthouse east side. You can't have Lighthouse south side. You can't have Lighthouse north side, though. But we have a privilege of helping pastors and churches just like yours who have a burden to reach the world and specifically with church planting. I'll share more about our ministry tonight. And if you want to look up our ministry online, you can. All the information is on the table or outside in the foyer. Well, if you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2 this morning, Mark chapter 2, 
just want to preach a brief message this morning, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And he, again he, that's Jesus, entered into Capernaum, so he had been there before, but now he's going back. After some days, and it was noise that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, and so much that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, or carried of four. When they could not come nigh to him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Drop down, if you would, to verse number 11. I say unto thee, speaking to the man that had the palsy, Arise and take up my bed and go thy way into thy house, thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for the music this morning. Thank you for the baby dedication. And dear Father, I pray that you would be with us in this short, brief time we still have together this morning. You've given us this time. We'll never have this time back. And so I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have a heart that receives your word. I pray if there's anything that's pressing right now, we might put those thoughts aside and any distractions, we might put those aside just for a moment and help us focus on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These four men in our passage were carrying a man with the palsy to see and hear Jesus. I'm thankful for people who bring people to Jesus. I was not born in a Christian family. I was not born in a, in a family that went to church. I, I was born in, on a farm in Indiana. Uh, just north of Anderson. All my family had farms. My dad was a crop farmer. My other uncle was a horse farmer. We had, my grandmother was a sheep farmer, and we had all kinds of, of uh, farms in our family there in that area. And, uh, but not one of us went to any type of church. There was really no good church in Alexandria. It's just a small little uh, farm town. When I was about seven, my parents divorced. I was uh, my mother remarried, again, not in church or anything, and not religious or knowing the Lord. And my mother remarried, married into a military family. And so uh, we went from the farm in Indiana. My mother, uh, my, my stepfather, he was a um, subcontractor for the military. And we moved to the island of Bermuda, uh, there to work on the uh, Navy base there. And uh, so I went from farm, you know, rural Indiana to Bermuda, and I had to meet all kinds of new friends, and I did. I had to learn a dialect I'd never learned before, and so on, and and we had moved to other places, and 
And then we finally landed in Sarasota, Florida. That's where I mainly grew up, although every summer they would put me on a plane and I would go up to see my dad on the farm in Indiana and then come back for the school year with my mom uh, there in Sarasota. So I was a snowbird and didn't know it uh, when I was younger. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, but I never went to church, didn't have friends to go to church, went to public schools down there. And when I was a senior in high school, uh, I was invited to an independent Baptist church plant in Sarasota, Florida, uh, Liberty Baptist Church. It's still there, and I did not go. I was working on an athletic store in the mall, and uh, the same family that invited me once saw me working in the mall this time, and they came in and they invited me to go back to this uh, independent Baptist church, and I did not go. But I'm thankful for people who don't give up on the unsaved. Because I was invited the third time by the same family. They had come in. Every time they came, they had more people. I don't know why. They just kept ganging up on me. Now they had friends with them. And uh, so they invited me again to go. And I decided, you know what? If if these people have invited me uh, two or three times, it must be important. And I knew what the church was. It was just down the road. It was a mile down the road from my house. I knew I drove by it going to high school every, every morning. There a little sign outside, you know, Liberty Baptist Church. So I decided to go and <clears throat> I sat with this family in the back. And I didn't realize this, uh, but the family at that time, they were searching for a church uh, to go to. They wanted good Bible preaching. They wanted uh, songs that lifted your uh, your, your soul, to, you know, you're pointing yourself to Jesus and fed your soul. And, and they wanted some, they just wanted some good Bible teaching and preaching. And, and they had narrowed it down now to this church plant. So I was sitting with them on the first Sunday and I'd never been in church before in my life. And I, I, I stood up when they sang, although I didn't know the words and, and I didn't know how to read music. And I, I didn't, I didn't have a Bible with me, but they shared a Bible with me. And and, and the message was good. I, I can't remember what was preached, but I left that Sunday morning service being the first time ever uh, as a 17-year-old uh, teenage boy, senior in high school, never been to church before in my life, never opened a Bible before, never went to vacation Bible school, nothing like that. And, uh, and I left there and I thought, there's something different. And I didn't know what it was. It definitely wasn't the pastor's jokes. It wasn't that. But I thought there's something, there's something there. there. There was an inner pulling. So I went back the next Sunday morning. Same thing, went in, sat with that family. Uh, we stand up for singing. We heard the preaching, sat down, had invitation. And uh, I left. I thought, I'm going to go back. So I went back the third Sunday and the fourth Sunday and the fifth Sunday and the sixth Sunday I went in and sat with that family. They were really towards the back of the auditorium, the, the, the auditorium they had and the chairs. And, and I was sitting there, and, and I did not know this. But on that Sunday, that family decided they're going to join the church. So during the invitation, the, the family gets out to join the church, and, and I had no idea this was going to happen. They didn't tell me this. And I thought, well, I don't want to be here by myself. So I got out with him and I followed him down the aisle. <laughs> I, kid you, I kid you not. 
And so I got down the aisle and the pastor met him. pastor knew them. The pastor knew my name as well, probably praying for me. And, and he met them at the front and he, and he asked them why they come. And they said, well, we want to join the church. And he said, great. So he took them over to his right. And then he, then he caught me and he said, Jeremy, why did you come? I said, I don't really know. I'm just with them. Whatever they're doing, I have no idea. I really had no idea. And he said, well, listen, they're going to join the church today. But I think we need to talk with you about your eternal salvation. And so he led me over to his left. And there was only one other man in the church at the time. And he was kind of like a Sunday school teacher, kind of grounded in the word. And he said, I'm going to let you talk to Earl here. Earl Moulton was his name. And Earl sat down with me and he began to open the scriptures. And, and he figured out really quick, I knew nothing. I, I knew nothing. So he took me kind of in, in a different room so we could be alone. And, and he, 20, 30 minutes, walked me through scripture that you all have sinned. Showed me passages, not just the Romans road or anything he memorized, but just he knew the scriptures. He knew, and I'm thankful for several things for that day. I'm thankful for a man, first of all, that didn't just want me to pray a prayer and get baptized. He took time and he really shared with me different paths. He, 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 he was sensitive to the Lord of where I was at. I'm also thankful for a family who decided uh, we're going to get back into church. They were out of church, and they were searching. And then I'm thankful for a family who decided they're going to join the church. We're going to get involved with the church, even though it's a small little church plant. We're going to get involved with it because I can honestly say, if it wasn't for them, I would not be here. The likelihood of me going to church, especially after I graduated high school, would have been very, very slim. But that day I prayed and I asked Jesus Christ to save me. And it was as real as I am standing here today. It absolutely changed my life. And I can say, uh, I beat the family to church that night. They decided they're going to go. I beat them. there. I was there Wednesday night. I came, everything they did, I went to. I got baptized the next week. They explained all that to me, and I knew I needed to get baptized. I got baptized. I joined the church, and I was, I was all in. Two weeks after I got saved was my graduation from high school on a Saturday night. Sarasota uh, High School, big high school, lots of graduates. Uh, all my family from Indiana had come down. Twenty-some of them came down, and we do big things with family, and they are all there. And uh, We had the graduation ceremony and all that. We got back to my house and, and, and there in Sarasota, and my mom said, Hey, we've, we've got a surprise for you. Uh, for your graduation, we're all going to Disney World. We're going to spend the day together and all. I said, great, that's wonderful. She had all the tickets, you know, already bought uh, from AAA. You don't know what that is. That's what people used to do. And Anyhow, she got them all discount and all that. And uh, she gave me mine, and we're talking and all that. And she's like, so everybody's got to go back to Indiana on Monday, so we're all going tomorrow. We're going to get up early, about 6 o'clock, we're going to go. And, and I, remember, I remember thinking about that, and I thought, Hold on, I, I, I can't go tomorrow. I, I've, I'm going to be in church tomorrow. Amen. And I, I remember this because as a 17-year-old boy, you know, a teenager, just graduated high school, I remember going to my mom and I said, Mom, I, I, I really want to go with you, but I can't go tomorrow. And she was disappointed, obviously. She was not a Christian or in church or anything. And, 
And my family was disappointed, not, not irate, but, you know, they, they understood, but they were just disappointed. So the next morning, my, I went to church, and my family went to Disney World to celebrate my graduation. But I also remember the day that the church we were at, they had on Thursday nights, they had uh, training on leading someone to the Lord. You just showed up, about six of us, and they showed us from Scripture. They had everything printed out. And you could memorize this whole outline just to get going, you know, and different verses and all that. And two weeks after, two or three weeks after I joined that uh, outreach uh, program they had, uh, they said, okay, now there's a homework assignment. Now you've got to go find an unsafe person and give them the outline with all the verses and everything on it and ask them to help you memorize the outline. So I remember thinking, I don't know too many, well, well, all my friends are kind of gone now, and I'll go home and take it to my mom. So I went home, gave my mom, uh, uh, I'll just use this as an example, gave mom, my mom this, this uh, outline, you know, on a card of memorizing scripture, and I'm, I'm sitting there quoting a few scriptures and trying to get through the outline, and, and I remember my mother, when she looked up at me, and she said, does this mean I'm not going to heaven? And I had no idea, Pastor, I had no idea any, like this was going to happen. And I said, well, yeah, Mom, that's what it means. We're, we're all have come short. We're all sinners. God's a holy God. We need to ask Christ to save us. And she said, well, what, what do I need to do then? I said, you're getting ahead of me. It's on the outline. You're... <laughs> It's, I really did. My mom will testify. I said, listen, you're, you're getting ahead. We'll get to that. <laughs> so I remember going through the scriptures with my mom and her starting to cry. I really wanted to, and my, my family's not criers. We're all, you know, hard farmers, you know, German background. My mom began to cry and she, she accepted the Lord as her Savior, right? Amen. Two weeks later, she, uh, she started going to church immediately. Two weeks later, she was baptized and if you were to go to Liberty Baptist Church right now, this morning, she would be there. Amen. That was back in 1990. Twenty some other of my family were saved through me getting saved. And one of them's a youth pastor today. Um, unbelievable what God will do through someone or a family or a couple bringing someone to Jesus. And in our passage, we see four people carrying this man to Jesus. And very quickly, I just want to bring out three simple truths before we finish this morning. What is it that brings people, what is it that starts in your heart, in my heart, in these men's heart, uh, these four men uh, that carried this man with the palsy? What is it that preempts that? What is it that sparks that I submit to you that these four men had compassion they had compassion because this man had the palsy but this man could not get to Jesus on his own so they had to go and pick him up and take him 
to get to Jesus. If you had the palsy during this day of Jesus' day, uh, one or two things would happen to you, and eventually both would happen before you passed on. The first, what would happen is you would start losing muscular activity, so your muscles would actually break down and deteriorate if you had the palsy. This man was in a bed by himself. Obviously, he, was, he had that. Secondly, all your senses would break down. Your sense of smell and touch and feel, all of those would break down. And so eventually you couldn't even smell or taste even food that was being fed to you. And because your muscles and everything was breaking down, eventually you would starve to death as someone with the palsy. So these four men knew that time was of the essence. We've got to get this man to Jesus now. Jesus has returned to Capernaum. He may not come back. He's been here before, so he may not return. Let's get this man with the palsy. Obviously, these four men wanted to get to see Jesus as well. But something happened, something clicked, something sparked something where they said, you know what, we know this guy that has the palsy. He can't get to Jesus by himself. And, I, and I'm telling you this morning, it had to do with compassion. The Bible says with compassion making a difference. You probably don't know this. I was born with one hand. Uh, I've had these four fingers were to get, they had to cut those apart. And I had several operations when I was younger, had braces on my legs. My mom used to drive me from the farm where we were at all the way to Chicago for surgeries and hospital care. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, the hospital took care of me. I, I still went back every year until I was about 18 years old and, and so on. But growing up, partially on a farm. Uh, they never asked me to do anything. They told me to do things, right? So you just learn how uh, to get along and so on. Uh, but everywhere I go, even yesterday driving here, I, I got some coffee and a Dunkin' Donuts. And I went inside, just stretched my legs. And, and the lady was very, uh, had sympathy for me. She wanted to handle everything for me. Do you want a bag for whatever? You know, can I get the door? And uh, and you can't, and I can't help, but when you see someone in a wheelchair on crutches, maybe someone that's losing a limb or something, you and I cannot help but to have compassion. It's just something that God has put within us that we are created so that we will have sympathy or have compassion upon someone who's less fortunate. May God help us to have compassion on the lost. Moving to Tennessee was a big step. I grew up as a Yankee in Indiana. I'm sorry. I moved to another Yankee state, Florida. (laughs) It just happens to be in the South. All my friends growing up from Ohio, Michigan, you know, they're all Yankees. I live in Tennessee now, Nashville. That's where we've been located for 14 years. I live on the end of a country road. I've got one uh, uh, neighbor who is uh, a very much a Tennessee hillbilly. Got the overalls, no shirt, big beard, no shoes. I'm not kidding you. Uh, anything that doesn't work just goes in the front yard. You know, <laughs> it's just. He's got chickens, ducks, dogs, all kinds of animals running loose all the time. And his house is right up against the road. So. He often meets people in the middle of the road with his shotgun to tell you to slow down because you're going too fast. Amen. One of our neighbors, one of our neighbors ran over one of his ducks. 
And he followed that neighbor, my next door neighbor, followed him home with his shotgun in hand, beating on his door until the guy opened the door. And I thought they were going to have an all-out fight because he ran over his ducks. One of my other neighbors had some friends over, and they all sped past his house. So he pulled his, his, uh, his uh, tractor trailer, his truck, everything out in the middle of the road. We're on a dead-end road. So they couldn't leave until he confronted them. The police had to be called. It was a... Oh. We've been trying for years. My wife bakes cookies, takes tracks, you know, for Christmas, different things to reach our neighbors and all that. We've tried... Many, many times to reach this neighbor. His name is Troy. My wife found out that his wife likes to plant flowers. So does my wife. So she actually boxed up some of her, dug up some of her flowers and uh, took them down and, and took them to his, Troy's wife and gave it to him. That was the thing that got us in. After that, our whole relationship changed. I was able to witness to Troy and reach him. Well, I, one day I was coming home. He stopped me. I was going 20 miles an hour. I thought, there's no way. I, 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 I had my head down I'm like, hey, Troy, how you doing? He, got, he, he honestly put his hand upon my car like he was hugging it, reached, looked in my window. He said, I just want you to know something. I said, whatever you want. You want money? <laughs> he said, if any of your neighbors give you any problems... Come see me. <laughs> I had not only gained a, a friend, I gained a bodyguard. <laughs> but you know, when we first moved there, most of the homes are newer in our area. And, you know, and when we first moved there, I thought, that, that, somebody ought to tear that house down. They just ought to burn that thing down and just get rid of it and build something new. That's just an eyesore. I mean, it's not, it's not doing anything for my property value, you know. A lot, you know, these things go through our head, do they not? But then, if we ask God for compassion, all that changes. Now, I wish he would clean up his front yard. <laughs> but now I've got a heart for him that sees past all of that. And I see a soul that needs the Lord. So today, do we have a heart of compassion? These men had a heart of compassion. That's why they went and got the man of the palsy. But secondly, and very quickly, they also acted with, uh, with commitment. Look at the Bible says here. <laughs> when, they got, when they could not come, verse 4, uh, nigh unto the, him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when, he, when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where in the sick of the palsy lay. They were committed now because of their compassion. They were committed to get this man to Jesus. And by the way, compassion will fuel your commitment to the Lord. In Luke chapter 5, the, the same account, the Bible says that they could not find by what way. In other words, when they got this man to the group, to the house, there were so many people there, they could not find. There was a point where all four of them said, we can't do it. We can't do it. But because of their compassion... They were already committed. So now they had to put their heads together, think about it, and decide, you know what? Let's get him up to the roof. 
Uh, we know that many of the Jewish homes had stairs up to the roof. Uh, that's where they would pray and so on and, and a lot of times burn incense and, and just get along with the Lord and all of that. So they had to get them up to the roof. Let me share this with you. I've been in church plenty now for uh, 22, 23 years. Uh, we've helped in, in all kinds of situations in countries like India and other countries and so on. And we have been in places like Butte, Montana, where the other pastors in the area said other, other ministries have tried to start, but it's impossible in Butte. Pastors said that. But I have seen God do the impossible because of compassion and commitment. When I was uh, going to hospitals when I was younger, uh, my grandparents would always say, where there's a will, there's a way. So I had to learn everything. I had to learn, obviously, a dress and to drive and, and all of that. I, I, I played every sport growing up. You may not think that, but I did. I played basketball, football, golf. I, I loved every sport. I loved, and to this day, I love every sport. The sport I did the most, I did BMX racing. I had prosthetic handle grips. I did that for nine years. I did nationally for four years. I absolutely loved uh, BMX racing when I was growing up, and, and I love still mountain bike now and so on. But you know what? I, I, when I was growing up, there was always, when there's a will, there's a way. I had some great people around me, great family around me. When there's a will, there's a way. When there's a will, there's a way. And that's true, isn't it? Let's put it into Scripture. When there is God's will, there is a way. Amen. And God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So in this dark day that we live even now, is there a way? Yes, there's God's way. And we just need some people with some compassion, compassion, fueling their commitment to carry it through. And the third area, and we'll be finished, is they had complete faith. They had complete faith. What does that mean? Well, look at verse number five. The Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I want to say something, but I don't want to be misunderstood. Uh, This man came to know Jesus, not through the faith of these four men, but because of the faith of these four men. Let me say it again. Not anybody can come to Jesus simply because, or come to know Jesus personally because someone else prayed or through someone else's prayer. But there have been people that come to Jesus because others are praying. And in this context, this man came to know the Lord. He was, he was healed and so on. But there were four men who obviously had compassion, obviously had commitment because they got him up to the roof and they had to tear up the roof. And that's a whole nother story, how they got him down and they had to engineer it all. Nobody probably had a chisel on him. They had to go find a chisel to break up the tile and nobody had a rope on him. I'm sure they had to go get a rope. And do we cut the rope in two? And, you know, how do we get him down? We have to engineer this thing. If we put around his neck and his legs, we'll have two miracles. You know, we we got to put on his arms around. How do we get this guy down? It was a complete commitment. But the whole time, they had faith in God. They had complete faith in the Lord. That's why Jesus said when he saw their faith. It was their faith that was in action. 
It was their com compassion uh, fueling their commitment, which ultimately, uh, through faith, saw this man come to know the Lord. And this morning, I want to encourage you, no matter where you are in your life, young, old, you may be praying about someone coming to know the Lord. Continue to pray by faith. You may be someone like a great evangelistic, evangelist friend of mine who was reached. He was about 17 years old at a gas station and, and uh, as a gas station attendant. And a man came in and invited him to church and he threw the track away. And the man came back and invited him to a special day like friend day. And he threw that away. And the, he, this, this man from this local church knew that this, this kid was throwing his stuff away. So he decided, you know what, uh, I'm going to go another step. And he went in and he said, hey, do you like pizza? He's like, sure, I like pizza. He's like, what time do you get off today? I'll come with a, 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 a large pizza. So he found out he got off at like 9, 9.30. He said, I'll meet you here. He's like, I'll, I'll bring a pizza with me if you'll just listen to me for five or ten minutes. So he met him there. And this man from a local church, just like here, that had a burden for a, a kid working at a gas station, took this kid a pizza and about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, led him to Christ. And that friend, that, that man now, that, that kid is a good friend of mine. He's an evangelist that travels for now over 20 years and leading people to the Lord. All because someone had compassion on an unsaved person and had some commitment to lead them to Jesus. How are we going to see a church plant in Galway, Ireland? Galway, Ireland is one of the most festive places in Ireland. 150 plus festivals every year. You know what that means in Ireland? A lot of drinking. You know what that means in Ireland? A great need. And some people might say, Galway, that's such a dark place. That nobody can reach Galway. Listen, I've heard that before and I've seen God work all because of people with compassion, commitment, and complete faith in our Lord. Dear Father, I pray that you would help us today not just to leave the service as just another service, but to leave here searching for someone that we can have compassion on. Give us, I pray, compassion for someone, maybe even today, someone that we see or talk to or just buy something from this week or maybe a neighbor. Father, give us compassion. Break our selfishness and our, self, our short-sightedness and help us to see people as you do. Help us to have commitment, dear Lord. That we, might carry, we might continue on and continue on and continue on to lead people to Jesus. I pray for Brother Andrew overseas, starting this church in Galway, that he would have commitment, Father, fueled by the compassion for those people there in Ireland. Father, help us to have complete faith, trusting that where there's God's will, there is a way. Pastor. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you stand with me this morning as the piano begins to play? We have an invitation, an opportunity for you to respond as the Lord has been working in your heart. Altars available. There's some people here to pray with you if you need that. Perhaps just there at your pew, you'd bow your heart before the Lord and talk to Him this morning. Obey Him. Let's give this time to the Lord today.